We hope you found value in part one of this podcast. Thank you for joining us for this second segment. Hello, and welcome to the Communication Solution Podcast with Casey Jackson and John Gilbert. I'm your host, Danielle Canton. Here at the Institute for Individual and Organizational Change, otherwise known as IFIOC, we love to talk about communication, we love to talk about solutions, and we love to talk about providing measurable results for individuals, organizations, and the communities they serve. Welcome to the communication solution that will change your world. (laughs) Well, it really sounds like uh, a sort of way like that I'll talk about and I'm open to correction here, but like a way of being, you know, is what they talked about with Carl Rogers, but almost like some way of treating not, and you could say that's similar, but then also embodied in that seems to be this like way of seeing where you are talking about the positive regard. And then if you go beyond seeing, now we're talking almost about like believing certain things and holding a belief. So did they talk about like, you have to believe in the person or anything like beliefs, because we're starting to realm into um, the way I see you and the way I treat you and the way my attitude is towards you starts to point towards how I believe if you have answers, not just within you more traditionally, but if I believe certain things. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that, that was addressed or your thoughts on that. It was. And, and the, the, I would say that that concept that you are articulating right now aspects of that kind of in a Venn diagram fell under um, positive regard, acceptance, and the way they were defining hope, which is really how we perceived other people. What I liked about, I think because it, <laughs> I think this is my learning curve is that I think I have my own biases towards certain words like hope. When people are saying, well, it's so critical, it's a critical concept in people getting better and healing and healthy and all these things. And it's like, is it the airy fairy definition of hope or is it, is there something that we know we can replicate without it being scientific because hope is such a magical thing. Right. So, I mean, just that's where my brain waffles back and forth, but the way they talked about hope that, that um, touches on what you're bringing up is I loved what they talked about. Hope has to do with basic, a basic concept around self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think this person is not going to get better odds are they probably are not going to get better under your care. And if you believe this person has the capacity to get better and that's their version of hope, the way it's defined in research, if you believe that, then there's a higher likelihood, which is a little bit different than positive regard. And it's a little bit different than acceptance. Does that make sense? And that's why they were really trying to, to, to uh, distinguish the definitions, but for what you were bringing up is how I view this person. Those are the three that immediately kind of pinged in my brain is the way they were articulating positive regard, the way they were articulating acceptance and the way they were articulating hope um, is kind of that our perception of that person doesn't have an impact. Mm-hmm. And they can mm-hmm. say very much so. It's, it's, there's like this visual coming to mind that this is like the, that am I, or the tenets of the seven eighths or six eighths we're talking about that MI is embodying that that would be the foundation to helping 
of some kind. And in health coaching, that is what Dr. You know, Susan Butterworth was trying to make the case for some years ago that it's the foundation of health coaching is motivational interviewing. It sounds like with this book and the research that it's looking that the closest thing we got that embodies everything for one thing of all this is yes. MI as a foundation. And yes. then from that foundation, there can be complementary, if not synergistic outcomes with anything you add to it. So it's not to say that it's the panacea then, as I'm thinking about this with one of those pieces of that we were talking about, it's that it seems to be the foundation. Yes. Would that be accurate with the research so far? That would be accurate. And I'm going to keep going back to is that's why they're talking about kind of the skills or the embodiment of the individual on the effectiveness of the model that they're using, um, you know, and or even pulling away because that was a I want to make sure I state that clearly is there's just going to be more about evidence-based processes and not about the brand of treatment that you're using, the name brand. Uh, it's going to be more about the processes of what the evidence shows, which processes that a person embodies has that correlation with positive outcomes. So, and I think that's going to be difficult because so many people want to lean into evidence-based practices, like what is the brand name and look at the research around this brand name I think that is so enculturated in professional circles. I think this, I think this is not going to get, I think it's going to get a ton of a, a ton of credit, but I think it's just like hand washing for physicians. I think it's going to be a slow roll to get there because we are so culturally obsessed with what model is going to have the most impact. Um, and this really is going to push that differently. I don't think it's going to negate it. But I think it's going to have to force people to expand their thinking because our our natural tendency is just want to pull the new tool off the shelf um, because it was branded really well and there's good research around it. I think it's going to be difficult to to bring people up to speed with it's about the individual. Hypothesis. I actually, you know, the one other thing I'll say real quickly too, because to finish this thought is that. My guess, and I don't know if this is going to be true or not, and I think this is probably going to go back to the individual, but I think fields that tend to be more like social work fields that tend to want to lean into an eclectic approach, I think they're going to more readily gravitate towards this construct than like a medical model approach that very much is, you need to pull this tool off the shelf and this is what you use because this is what insurance is going to pay for and you're going to need to be able to articulate that. So I think that would be my just leaping, you know, five years ahead of where it's going to be the sticking points. And I'm going to think from an insurance perspective, what we're paying for is we're not paying for you to be a good person. We're paying for you to use these tools to fix this person as efficiently and as cost effectively as possible. What were you going to say, Daniel? Yeah, I was just going to jump in because I love the diversity among, among us, the three of us and where our brains are oriented from. So mine is of so many different things. One is, um, you brought up coaching, John. And so in contrast to something like insurance pays for a medical model type solution or tool, my head goes toward all the coaching and the, how that whole industry is evolving, not only for whether it be health coaching, business coaching, whatever might be out there, as well as like, for some reason, dentists popped into mind more and more dental practices are saying I'm opting out of insurance. It's private pay. And the less that the medical world is driving and insurance is driving what the solutions are, 
I find it interesting because when you think about being on the other end of a solution and you've got a problem, do you really care how you're going to solve it? And you, you as that practitioner is everything because I'm trusting you. I'm engaging with you for who you are. And I don't necessarily need to know how skilled you are to fidelity you are with a certain tool because I just want the solution. It, it's fascinating when you say that. I mean, just this is just recent experience, literally last weekend for me with a friend who had called in utter desperation, like who would have said, if it wasn't against my belief system, I probably would step off the planet at this point in time. I would probably end my life because I don't want to be here anymore. And in that desperation, it's somebody who's retired, um, you know, retired professional, very well-respected professional, but the emotional pain was so high that it's like, I don't care if my insurance covers it or not, I will pay out of pocket. I need, the level of desperation is so high that anything that is going to help me hang on, I'm willing to do. And I think that's the whole thing about, you know, do you wait (laughs) three months on a waiting list to get to the best evidence-based practice when you're in that level of dire straits. Like that's, I think this is where people are running into. It's like, I can't wait anymore. Like I would rather have some semblance of sanity back in my life. And if it doesn't come soon, I can't hang in there because part of that person's desperation was the waiting list are so long to get in anywhere. And if you don't have the right insurance, it's even longer. But if you're willing to pay out of pocket, it moves you to the front of the line. So, I mean, it just, those things I think are so complex. Then we get into whole, which we're not even going to touch, but just the, you know, the, the socioeconomics of, of services for people and just the disparities out there for marginalized populations. Oh, I mean, that's just, that's it opens up a whole nother podcast in terms of just another 18 hour podcast right there. (laughs) Yeah. If, if individuals, you know, and it is all about the individual and their mindset and how they apply what, what they're, they're learning that opens up another discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And is the thing that strikes me too, just now that that kind of that construct clicked is I think what is going to get a little interesting. And I, John, I'm really curious what your thought is on this too, because I know your brain will go there is what is that going to mean? If we're looking at these, I don't want to say attributes, but if these are things that we can, some of us embody, some of us get more training on some of us can learn and expand and grow on if people embody these how do we keep the differentiation between a coach a health coach and a therapist you know i mean it's just like because we're looking at the attribute and not the role label just like some people are hired based on are they competent in motivational interviewing so they may be a therapist they may be a case manager they may be a health coach but they're looking more at those attributes now which has always been part of a hiring process, but this I think is going to push that to a whole different construct in terms of, are we hiring a position or are we hiring a person? Because this person can do a lot of these roles if they embody these, if that's, if the data is accurate, which the level of meta-analysis they did, it's at this point, pretty accurate data. Is it going to be more about the attributes of the individual than the actual label? And of course there's going to be differentiations because I don't know what you know as an RD, um, but how much of that is going to be critical. And I think especially when offering information advice has the least potency, that starts to become very fascinating. Um, Not that it doesn't have potency, but, you know, 
when you've got seven other factors that are, have more potency than, than your personal expertise. Yeah. I mean, there's, we're over, you know, we're, we're, we're deep into our time for this podcast. So it makes me think how much longer, you know, do we go into this and maybe a future podcast and, and I'm open to that. Uh, of course, where my mind goes is thinking about, well, how would you know? Do you just get a vibe from someone, right? And this is where you can get into the psychology of what we're, what, what are we talking about right now? It's these attributes that you were just referencing, Casey. So if these are attributes, how do we screen for them? Well, we got to be able to describe them. We got to be able to assess for them in some sort of a way. So how do we even do that? That being a really important potential to operationalize, no matter if you're a dentist, as Danielle's saying, or a health coach or an executive coach. And, you know, there's some parts of the MICA that I think could fit with that. But I also think some of these things are different. And so I think having some sense of assessing these things and having that standardized in some sort of a way would be extremely helpful as a as an extremely foundational first step. Not only that, but then what's the difference between a therapist and, and someone at the bar drinking, talking with the bartender? You know, at a certain point, we could make these ridiculous comparisons in some ways, but it's like there's a certain level of experience, Casey, you as a therapist and metacognition and, and, and things going on in your mind that are beyond the information you have that we could screen some of that stuff, I think, for in the seven. But I also think those seven could be missing out on something in the context of the situation. And I don't know what that is, but that's my hunch. And the same goes for the RD thing with different RDs that have different beliefs that they purport onto the evidence versus try to, you know, all that stuff. I think there's still other things to play into it, but I think this is starting the best evidence-based big swath stuff that could be used to start assessing in all these areas like Danielle was getting at. And so I think coming up with an assessment around that is really important coming up with, well, what's the competencies beyond that stuff that matter and do they matter? I think that's really important. And part of why supervision exists in therapy and some other things would be to embody these things, but I bet you there'd be other things um, in that I would imagine, but that I don't know. That's my hypothesis. <laughs> well, and I, I think where the, the, the friction is going to continue is systems do not want to lose power. So there, because we, I know I've heard of stories where there's a guy, you know, sitting at a bar next to a stranger and they get into a deep, meaningful conversation and, that conversation got the person to never want to drink ever again by the time they were done talking, you know, never had a drink since that day with that stranger in the bar. I have a friend that that happened to. And so it's like, you can't negate that outcome. <laughs> and the person didn't have a degree. And so, and I think this can be difficult for systems to, if people are embodying these things, I think there's a fear to systems that it's like, but then where's our place and where do we generate revenue? If people you know, can do these things without a degree or they embody these things naturally or focus on developing these skills. You know, it's like, well, does it matter if they're sitting in a bar? Does it matter if they're sitting in a clinical setting? Like, 
I think it's just going to start to challenge some some norms and structures um, as we look at you know what people embody. So again, I think there's at least fifteen to sixteen, maybe seventeen other podcasts just from the last ten minutes. <laughs> just, well, my brain is now just on fire. I'm um, laughing because the, the thing that you've mentioned that's coming back to me is it's like hand washing for physicians. <laughs> I feel like all of these little nuggets from everything is just like okay, let's see how it's going to start integrating and and uh, trickling through the systems. I love it. And that's where I hope that we can look to the evidence as lo- as well as our you know inferences of our experience to it because yeah, I believe there are going to be research things in the future, assessing these parameters and assessing a graduate degree or a undergraduate degree or no degree with these things right now. To me, it's, it's, it really matters. Meta-analyses are the highest degree of, of evidence for looking at stuff. And we know that peer advocates have their own research and what, you know, what are we really talking about with that? Where maybe information is more helpful or self-disclosure is more helpful, where, how does that, you know, relate to some of those things, but maybe not as much explicit empathy? I don't know. But I'm simply getting at that I think there's going to be a lot to tease out as well if we want to take a purely evidence-based approach. In the meantime, I think there's some level of faith into what the research is showing and faith that trust, whatever word you want to use, that these parameters tend to pop out effective outcomes. Now, how yes. efficient do can yes. we be at such effective outcomes? That might be the thing for me that I'm hypothesizing that is where the experience of the person, the uh, graduate degree or whatever might come in to really help with the efficiency of that effectiveness potentially. Well, there, there are two things I want to comment on as we wrap up. One of them is Terry, Dr. Teresa Moore is actually has a new research she's publishing in terms of efficiency within the first five minutes, the amount of sustained talk and change talk within the first five minutes can be an indicator. So it's like, uh-oh, now we go back to, we do have some measurement about, it's not about degree. Is it about your efficiency of being able to hear and assess sustained talk, change talk? So that's, again, another two-hour conversation. But the biggest thing from us talking about this today is there's something really settled in me, and I'm so glad that what we conceptualized was the communication solution and not that it's that's the espousing of MI period. I mean, I, I love that what we have tried to do has been in alignment with what Dr. Miller and Moyers have, have are writing about in terms of we just want to help people have real conversations in real time to improve you know improve the quality of life for their, you know, professionally and personally. So it brings him back into the whole function of what the communication solution is and what we set out to do with this podcast is just, you know, have open conversations because it's, it's never supposed to be applied to hostage negotiations, but we could have podcasts and explore what does that mean? And what does it mean for union strikes? And what does it mean for, I just, I like that that is kind of the foundation that we settled into is just, let's just talk about what is effective communication. And now we're talking about, you know, growing how we look at it through an evidence-based practice lens um, even further and, and pushing those envelopes and pushing the, the thoughts further. So it makes me excited about, you know, subsequent episodes. I love it. It breaks down barriers. That's what I think your work does. And it includes everybody. So yes. it's it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, podcast. I'm sure we'll continue the conversation. Thank you so much. I, I do have to leave on one parting note, which because you kind of did a little mm, to the hope tenant. 
And I got excited on that one. And I was like, oh, we're going to have to talk about Shawshank Redemption because that's the whole crux of that movie. Yes. yes. So, so there's so many great, great things to continue. Um, one thing I will ask you is if for our listeners um, who may or may not be, you know, tuned into motivational interviewing or practicing it, um, but understand that this is a communication solution, what would your advice be? to them, given what you learned today and experienced with doctors Miller and Moyer? I can just tell you off the top of my head, and I can't remember who the quote was, but it was never underestimate the power of compassion. There is no greater burden than to go through your life thinking no one cares or understands. And I think that's for me is just the power of empathy, of listening, of seeing people in a positive way. I think those are the things that I would consolidate. I think when I look at it, I mean, there's parts about being a good person, but it's like how to be a good person and being a good person is going to have a positive impact irrespective of if you have initials after your name, Um, you know, it'll make you a better parent, it'll make you a better partner. Um, And those are the things I think that are so profound when we look at healthy communication. Amazing. Amazing. Great summary. Great advice. Thank you so much, you guys. We will see you on the next podcast. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Communication Solution Podcast with Casey Jackson and John Gilbert. As always, this podcast is about empowering you on your journey to change the world. So if you have questions, suggestions, or ideas, send them our way at Casey at IFIOC.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y at IFIOC.com. For more information or to schedule a training, visit IFIOC.com. Until our next communication solution podcast, keep changing the world.